Hello, we're back in studio today. Welcome to the Bible Nation podcast. I'm Doug Levesque with my good friend, Pastor Jason Georges of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Corona, Michigan. Today, we're going to talk about who is the king of Jerusalem. The Bible talks about it, and now the culture's talking about it. Stay tuned. What are we standing up for? The ability, the freedom to do what's right as God defines that right. God's the ultimate author of liberty. We don't want government to stand between us and our freedom to do what is right. Glad to have you back in the studio today with our podcast. We're going to be talking about who is the king of Jerusalem. Remember, folks, to go to our website, BibleNation.org, and remember the best culture is a Bible culture. It's proven, and it works. Before we get into all that, we just had probably the biggest TV weekend weekend in the universe, in the history of TV weekends, the biggest, baddest Super Bowl ever, probably a mix uh, of not just the football, but Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, and Las Vegas betting. You put all that together, and it was, somebody was making money. I wasn't. Uh Somebody was making money in there. And uh, Pastor Jay, you know, Super Bowls are known for the commercials, right? Big time. Apparently, it was $7 million dollars to have a commercial in the Super Bowl. It's amazing. And, uh, I didn't watch the Super Bowl this year. I did kind of go back and watch uh, like a YouTube uh, spoof and like what were the com- what were the commercials, good ones, bad ones, whatever. And and I did notice what you'd mentioned in that uh, the Jesus, he gets us commercials. And whoever's behind that spent a, at least $14 million to expose Super Bowl watchers to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Which on the surface seems, hey, fantastic. Someone's spending money and someone's doing that. But you and I had, had talked about that saying it, it, it really was a mixed message. And most Christians are a little bit disappointed on how it, how it kind of brought Jesus out. Kind of maybe a different Jesus sort of thing. So what do you think about the He Gets Us commercials? Yeah, well, look, first of all, I mean, what an idea that someone, and, and, you know, yeah, a group would spend upwards of $7 million a year uh, or an ad, excuse me, seven million dollars an ad to run four ads in the Super Bowl, um, wanting to share Jesus. And so the, I, I, I think you and I would both tend to agree the intention, yeah, uh, was was probably good and yeah. and right. If I had money and I wanted to have some sort of witness, yeah, Super Bowl commercial, well, Jesus, go for it. Well, what and, a great and, audience! What a great audience! What a great opportunity! Yeah. You think about Paul, you know, goes to Athens yeah. and he goes to the marketplace, yeah, and. For that Sunday, yeah. um, the Super Bowl is the marketplace of the world, right? It's right. the marketplace of idea and marketing. Marketers know about it. And so what a great opportunity, right? Hey, let's proclaim Jesus. Yet the the campaign that was, you know, this He Gets Us campaign, which is over a year old, began last year. It's a number of billboards. It runs throughout the, throughout the year. Um, really, as in review of what was played this year, misses the mark. Misses the yeah. mark of what the Bible talks about proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's what yeah. has a lot of uh, Bible advocates yeah. a little concerned. So speak to the, you know, I think Jesus gets me. He knows me. You know, he knows my every thought and everything. But speak to that phrase, he gets us. What's what's right and wrong with it? Well, so, you know, I, I think that the, if, you're, if you're a Bible student or if you know the scriptures, mm-hmm. it invokes that idea in the book of Hebrews mm-hmm. where the Bible says that Jesus was tempted and always as we were tempted yet without sin. Okay. And the idea... Emphasizing his humanity. Emphasizing his humanity, emphasizing that he can relate to us. Yeah. Jesus knows the struggle of what it is to be a human. Mm-hmm. Now, but Jesus was never a sinner. 
Right. Okay. Okay. So theologically, there is that perspective, mm -hmm. but in order to understand that perspective, you have to have a Bible background or you have to have some Bible literacy, mm -hmm. but this ad campaign was not a Sunday school lesson. Right. It wasn't a discipleship lesson right. that happens after a person has received Christ. This was intended to be an evangelistic message. In other words, it was to present Jesus to a lost and dying world. And so they don't have any background on what it means he gets us. Mm -hmm. And so to he gets us in the nomenclature of the world, of this culture, means he accepts me. Right. He accepts me. Yeah. And, and that's, so that, that's really how most people would have said, oh, yeah, Jesus is a great guy. And I can I can kind of follow Jesus because he's he's like Muhammad and he's like Buddha. And he's this guy that he's this man who can get me and I can follow his principles. Right. He gets yeah, us. Right. Now, does he understand sinners? Yes. Does he understand people? Yes. He created them. But he didn't but, accept but, everything. But, well, but then the, the imagery behind it was very targeted. Yeah. And so the, you have the phrase he gets us. But then the imagery Really, if you took away the words and you took away the music, yeah, and you just saw the pictures, yeah. you would you would say this is a social justice, some sort of social yeah. justice Not argument. Not just a social because, gospel, but a social justice yes, gospel. Yes, yeah. which because it, it it was who it was almost like it was a grand apology because you had. The, yeah. every, in every image, you had the person that would be associated with Christianity, mm -hmm. and in some fashions. The, the parts of Christianity that we feel like we have to make apology for. Right. Not apologetics. Right. Apology. Like, right. we're sorry for being Christians. Right. Uh, bowing themselves to th someone that they might have offended. The, the perceived offense. Right. The perceived. The perceived or yeah. the perceived um, harmed party yeah. or, or yeah. Uh, so, oppressed so you party. The, you have the kind of uh, gender neutral girl and her hands or her feet are being washed by the person who's like the, the, you know, the, the Christian moral majority lady. Right. You know, and behind there, there's scenes behind kind of where they're being protested, but she's washing the feet of this one or whatever. You have the, uh, the cowboy washing the Indian's feet. You have the, you know, the um, uh, wealthy, white, uh, privileged guy, you know, washing feet with the poor old black guy mm -hmm. or whatever. And so all those images kind of had that where it was, it was definitely a targeted as who should be doing what and, who's the oppressed and who's the oppressor. And like you said, it was an apology for Christians for being oppressors. That's right. really what I felt. And now, you know, and, and the, mm -hmm. some of those that have said, no, this was a great ad campaign. Yeah. So, you know, it was intended to be a conversation starter. Right. But it was a conversation starter on the, using the tool of confusion. But because yeah. th there's some very confusing things. First yeah. of all, the imagery that we just talked yeah. about, um, talked about there, if that imagery was supposed to communicate love thy neighbor, mm -hmm. which we are told to do, yeah. and Jesus commands us that we ought to love our enemies, right. there was other ways to to yeah. there was other ways to convey that yeah. that don't then bring in this kind of theological idea of foot washing because that's even confusing right. because Jesus didn't wash the feet of sinners; he washed the feet of his disciples, right. and he <laughs> and he only washed. Right. And they said, well, he washed Judas's feet, but he washed Judas's feet in the context of him being part of that Disciples. disciple group. Yeah. And, and so it wasn't right. like Jesus went from town to town. Accepting find, every right. sinful premise. Now, now, now yeah. did he eat with sinners? Did he, did he yeah. we, we eat with publicans? Yeah. Yes, but not to yeah. accept them, to change right. them. So in, in, not only was it a faux gospel, but it was kind of faux narrative Yes, a little bit. And so the confusion, I've heard you know some like secular people saying, oh, this was great because Jesus... You know, we should all be washing people's feet who are lesser than us. Okay, that's the general message, and that's a humility message. That's a human message, and 
maybe if that starts a conversation, great. But the conversation is going to have to include, well, wait a minute, this is not in the Bible. This is a this is a faux Bible message, and Jesus really was Almighty God. Let's show him in his glory. You know what I mean? Or something like that. Well, you know, the Bible tells it, but if it's a love your neighbor message, yeah. which the imagery should have been something more like this. You know, if someone is hungry, I feed them. Mm-hmm. If someone needs yeah. clothing, I clothe them. Yeah. If someone needs comfort, I comfort them. Yeah. Uh, if if you want to show the imagery of like Jesus, like we ought to love the addict, then we're walking with the addict right. and we're helping them and we're helping them walk away from those kind of things. Right. Uh, if, if, you, if Jesus... Uh, is relatable, or, or we ought to love the gender-confused person. Yeah. We're walking with them away from that. Yeah, and the thing is, like, so when Christians are saying no to this homosexuality and gender stuff, we're actually warning them it's love. And, right. and you don't like us, but we love you enough to try to get there and try to help you. Same thing, like, with, with the addict. When we, when we vote for a candidate or for a budget that does not include, you know, the, the freedom to grow and the freedom to sell and the freedom to partake, we're kind of trying to help that situation. We're not just being mean to somebody or, 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 and so, but we're painted that way all the way. There should be a, another set of commercials by all those that are oppressed, you know, that uh, make us the ones that, that, that are the oppressed. Hey, you know what? We're sorry for oppressing you. We should have realized you were trying to love us all along, but that will never happen right? because tolerance only goes one way. Well, and so ultimately it's, it was, you know, the marketing behind this yeah. is how can we present Jesus yeah. to a lost, unbelieving world in such a way that it doesn't offend them, and that he's so actually the money from? Attract, attracted to it. Well, w- w- you do some research into it. It's, this, it's the Green family that is the the owners of Hobby Lobby, which are the same backers of the National Bible Museum in Washington D.C. Right. And, and so, you know, they are obviously billionaires. Right. They, they actually um, ten or fifteen years ago, um, who was this? Who was the Microsoft guy? Bill Gates. Yeah challenge the world's elite, the, the richest of the rich, to give away 90% of their wealth by right. the time of their lifetime. And they kind of, Be- Bezos, these yeah. upper elites, uh, Zuckerberg have all kind of done this. To, and, yeah. and he didn't direct them onto like how you should do it, just do something for the cause of humanity. Of course, we know um, Gates, his contribution to humanity is get everyone vaccinated. Another argument, <laughs> another podcast. Right, right, right. So the Green family kind of took season three, right? Yeah. So that the, <laughs> right. the Green family kind of took up the mantle on this idea of okay, we're going to promote the Bible yeah. and Christian ideals, but it was never which, which like that's what we're doing because we say culture, right, right. The best culture is a culture that's influenced by the Bible, whether people are saved or not, right. So in a sense, if they're trying to do that, great. But let's get down to this actual scriptures. Well, and so you know there is you know the modern reincarnation yeah. of the social gospel of the. 30s and the 40s and the 50 yeah. is now the social woke gospel. Yeah. You know, and, and what was the idea of, the, of that social gospel? It, it changes the mission of Jesus from rec- that he came to seek and to save them that are lost. Right. In other words, reconciliation with God yeah. to now reconciliation with our fellow men. Yeah. And so the gospel is, none other, is nothing more than living in harmony with other human beings. Right. But you cannot live in harmony without with other human beings truly mm-hmm. until you first have harmony or reconciliation with God. Yeah. And why do we need reconciliation with God? Because our sin separates us from God. Mm-hmm. And so what was truly missing mm-hmm. in the Jesus gets us. Mm-hmm. Oh, if they had and I you know, if they had gone forty five seconds, one minute ads, if they had gone forty five seconds with Jesus gets us and just fifteen seconds, and this is why He gets, he saves us, saves us and he saves us from our sin. And I think that is some of the angst amongst conservative evangelicals or conservative theologians and Christians 
is like you you missed you the opportunity, opportunity right? And 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 I could have probably even in personally gone with that that yeah. that vision uh, yeah. or that that marketing of he gets us yeah. if they had just ended. But he does he gets you, but he, because he doesn't want to leave you where you're at. Yeah, he, your sin, and, and because what they were mm-hmm. what they were picturing were because it was all imagery, right? Right. right. So we can only judge by the outward appearance. There was appearance. no repentance or faith or anything right. involved in Right. They were picturing people who were living lifestyles that were defined by sin right. that separates from God. Yeah. Uh, now, listen, that's why they should have had a Ku Klux Klan member on there as well, because yeah. his sin separates himself yeah. from God. Yeah. They should have a glutton on there. His yeah. sin separates himself from God. Uh, a religious person, yeah. his sin separates him from God. Yeah. And yet it was very targeted on who yeah. they were representing. Actually, actually... If you wanted to kind of see this all the way through, the very parties that they were trying not to offend, I would almost say if I was one of those parties, by the exclusivity of those parties in the yeah. commercial, I would be I'm more offended. offensive. Right, because why don't you, like Jesus, why doesn't Jesus need to get everyone else? Well, you know, the, the first mention of the gospel, the proto-evangelium in Genesis, and, you're t- right. and, and God says, you know, you're going to crush his head with your foot right. sort of thing. And then we have Jesus uplifted, nail in, blood, but the blood is, is over that. So it's a full circle message. But in this message, you got the Christian bowing, knee bent, you know, holding, kind of ensconcing, yeah, washing, but but kind of elevating the foot mm-hmm. of the sinner. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's and what I'm saying is, is that the social gospels, uh, social wokeness of, of the gospel, not only didn't include the gospel, but almost reversed it, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, when the Antichrist comes, he uses the front of Christ. Mm-hmm. He uses the front of Christ, and uh, in trying to present that, so. While it was it was probably well intentioned and definitely sacrificed and you know well produced and put in the right spots and all that kind of thing, like you said, it's disappointing that it just fell short and we can't just let that go. We have to say something about it otherwise, and maybe they'll adjust it. There's been enough outcry, you know. I don't know. Well, and and, and listen, maybe is there going to be some good from this? Yes. Is there going to be some testimony of some person who says I got saved because this commercial sparked interest? But 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 the 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 outcome does not justify the 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 action. In other words, uh, you know, even back in the day, you know, did people get saved at the Billy Graham Crusades? Yes, but sharing the stage with uh, a Catholics was probably not the best way of going about that, and it needed to be said, right? Right, right. Absolutely. It doesn't doesn't mean that God's not going to be able to use something with it, but we still got to have fidelity to the scriptures. And, 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 I, and I think Franklin hasn't done that as no, much. no, not as much, yeah, not yeah, as much. Yeah. But but just kind of closing this down, yeah. I, I do push back on this one aspect. Mm-hmm. In that commercial, was the insinuation that a person and a gospel preacher like you and I mm-hmm. don't love those people, right? And that's hogwash. I, I reject that. Yeah. I, I reject that. Yeah. Anyone that knows you, mm-hmm. anyone that knows me, what we've committed our life to in gospel preaching, we would reject that idea. That we, we, I, we engage them with love and sacrifice 10 times more right. than they ever engage so, us. So I don't need to apologize. Right. Because I, I have I have never met a drunkard that I did not try to love to Jesus. Absolutely. And I've never met a homosexual that I did not try to love to Jesus. Yeah. And I've never met a gender confused person yeah. that I didn't, that my heart did not break for them yeah. for Jesus. And, and so, so I, I'm not, no, yeah. I, I'm not going to apologize because the world is, I, I'm not going to apologize if the, let me put it this way. I'm not going to, if the world's accusations don't define me. Right. And so if the world says, well, you're just a hater. 
I'm not going to apologize for hating right. because I'm not a hater in yeah. the way that they're defining it. Yeah. Now, does God hate sin? Yeah. Yes. And that, should I hate sin? Yes. Yeah. But Jesus came to die for sinners. And so I, I'm not going to go along with that. Jesus come to wash sinners' feet. There's no salvation in that message. No, Those were his no. disciples who already had faith. Right. They already were believing. Well, he was washing their feet more as a leadership lesson yes, than he was servant as a sort of gospel right. sort, sort of message. And, and, so, and, see, and, and most Christian preachers humble themselves and, and take it on the chin all the time. And it doesn't happen the other way. In fact, this article that I found yep. about... Uh, about um, he gets us ad reactions proof changing the gospel doesn't change hearts. Um, it it, uh, it starts off with this. He gets us a spending upwards of a billion dollars on an advertising campaign to expose millions of people, including those who tuned into the 2023 Super Bowl, to Jesus. But its attempt to win over the world with a modernized version of Christ failed to endear some of those it sought to engage. Yep. And then it goes to uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's tweet. She says, something tells me Jesus would not emphasize, spend millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad to make fascism look benign. In other words, we're, the, the guy in the bed to knee is a fascist, yeah. right? So that message totally went over her head, mm -hmm. and all she saw was those people that were the offense makers are fascists trying to look benign. That's what, that's what the left is getting out of that. And so, man, it, it might have been 7 or $14 million wasted right? because it did not hit the mark for Christians to promote Christianity for the gospel, and it definitely didn't engage people to talk about Jesus necessarily the right way either. So, I, you know, I give it a, a thumbs down and a fail. Although I think we should use oh, yeah. money and, and modernity to you know present the gospel. So you know, nice try, but no. Right. Yeah. You know, ultimately, Paul says what the the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world. Yeah. And, and you know, w part of this ad and whatnot is an unwillingness of believers to be made foolish right in other words that, that's that that we have to preach the, the gospel the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ and why did he die yeah. because we're sinners that's that's what we have to that has to be in there and it's it's not necessarily a popular message initially it always burns the other thing is is jesus was a man and let me and here's where i'm going to do this wonderful transition to our, our yep, yep. but he's also almighty god yep the king of Jerusalem, yep. right? They hailed him on Good Friday, right? They crucified him later <laughs> after that. But we're talking about Jesus who's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And, um, and that's kind of segues really well into um, this idea. Our of topic, who, yeah. Our, our topic today, who is the king of Jerusalem? And what really sparked me, Pastor, is that um, uh, President Biden, uh, you know, had, had his envoys talking with um, uh, Prince, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. And of course, remember, Mohammed bin Salman didn't talk to Biden for a while because Biden had condemned him. Well, then Biden flip-flops and he's over there courting him. And he and Netanyahu, they're trying to plan this kind of NATO of the Middle East. And we're going to restructure you know, the Middle East and how it's viewed. And, and Mohammed bin Salman might sign up for the, the Abraham Accords, etc., and, and then everything's going for the last three, four months as it's been going in the war from October 7th in Israel. And, and Biden goes from sending warships to protect to now threatening that you've got to be done, you know, to Israel and, and kind of saying we can't hold, hold back the flood anymore or whatever. And then he has Abdullah from Jordan giving a speech at the White House saying, uh, and, and he actually bows to him and calls him majesty which U.S. presidents don't do that. They don't bow to anyone, and they don't address anyone as king. 
And then he puts his hand on him and gives him the, gives him the, the mic, the stand, if you will. And the, the, the imagery there is that Abdullah is the de facto ruler slash king of Jerusalem right now. It's his claim to fame. It what's, it's what makes Jordan even stand up amongst the nations that are much stronger than them, like Syria and Egypt and Turkey and Saudi Arabia. And, um, you know, initially, um, when, when England was promising everybody the Holy Land, you know, back in pre-World War I, you know, they had, they had problems with their State Department and their Defense Department, and so they were promising everybody everything. And the government's giving the Balfour Declaration to Lord Rothschild, and Lord Rothschild's buying up land, and they're going to say, we're going to give you a homeland. They're promising it to the Palestinians, but to the Palestinians under who? Under the Southern Arab King or under the Northern Arab King? Who, by the way, were brothers, right? Mohammed bin Salman's granddad and Abdullah's granddad were the heir apparents, but basically they drew these Sykes-Pico lines after World War I and arbitrarily got pieces of the desert, north and south. So Jordan and Saudi Arabia, Saudi means south. They're just northern and southern, you know, like northern, the north against the south, you know, in civil war. And so neither one was happy with their cut, with their stand. Jordan got the lesser piece of land, but the Jordanian king got basically the administration of Jerusalem. And the Palestinians have been kind of under them all along. That's kind of the status that we've been in for 70 years. Everyone's crying for a two-state solution. The reality of the current war is not necessarily what two-minute snippets in the news give. You know, we hear all these kinds of, is it oil, is it power, is it whatever. But, but I think it's Jerusalem, who's over it, and particularly Temple Mount status. The Jews now are crying out loud that the reason for this war is not just they hate us, right? The, the reason for the war is that we were about to offer the red heifer. I mean, that was slated for that week or weeks after of October 7th. We were coming into the fall feasts, and the red heifer was there. It was declared. There's three of them. One of them is going to be sacrificed. And the Arabs have come out. This week, the spokesman for Hamas came out and said, the reason that we did this was because they were going to usurp Jerusalem with their red cow. Mm -hmm. So that didn't make the national news, but that is what the spokesman for Hamas, who's trying to gather the troops and rally the troops and get the Arabs riled up. That's what his cry is. And so, so there's, no, there's no battling that whatever the socioeconomic, geopolitical issues are, the heart issue of the Arab and the Jew is the status of Jerusalem and who is the king. And um, we've, we've looked at the um, Temple Mount Institute, mm -hmm. right? And they have made plans and priests and instruments for construction is the word you like to say. They're emphasizing we're ready to construct a new temple whenever Hashem, God, allows us to do so. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's their thing. And so that's pretty interesting because that's, that's not evangelical Christians. Do, do, you think, do you think that's motivation is the Temple Mount Institute is whenever God allows us to, or we have already been commanded to, and so we're trying to? I think generally Israel says when God allows us to, but I think the Temple Mount Institute says it's time. Right. So I think it's a, it's a delicate balance, but I think they're pushing the envelope. They're the ones that have opened the vocabulary for the Jews to say Jerusalem's ours, the Temple Mount's ours, and yeah. Because they're, they're waiting for the red heifer, right? Mm -hmm. so, or or, or they, they know, realize that that's a necessity. Yes. And yet it's a, ge it's a genetic anomaly or yeah. a genetic specialty. Yeah. But 
they're not just simply waiting for it. They're trying to create it. They've bred it. Right. They're They've breeding it. it. Its ashes, when you sacrifice it, mixed with water from the Pool of Siloam, right. is able to, you're able to put it on the instruments and on the priests, and now you have a Hashem-sanctified priesthood right. with instruments. And you have to have that if you can have a temple you know, to, to, to occupy. But, of course, some of their imagery is they've done the engineering and the design of what that temple looks like mm-hmm. and how it's going to be built, and et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. So um, the, the Arab response, the Hamas, when they launched this attack on, on the 7th in, in, West, in the West Bank in Jerusalem, they call it the Al-Aqsa flood or the Al-Aqsa typhoon. That's what, the, that's what the mission was called. That's what it was planned. That's what it was trained for. And they had this in the works, but they decided to pull the trigger that day. And, and so for them, it's, we're not going to let the Temple Mount go. At least that's their rhetoric, right? But that's what's behind it. That's what's in the heart and the motivation of some people. Now, amazingly, the Jews call it, get this, Pastor Jay, they call it Operation Iron Cross, <laughs> which kind of brings up the Nazi Iron Cross. Now, right. either they're calling Hamas Nazis or they're bringing up Never Again or something. I mean, it's just kind of a weird name because they're Jews. They're not Christians. So what? what's the cross? Yeah. How did that get through the messaging office? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's you're supposed to be a guy going, all right, generals, that's not a good name. That can mean a whole lot of things <laughs> right. to a whole lot of people. I mean, why not Operation The Sling or, Oper- you know, whatever. Um, and, and But that's what's that's what's being talked about. And... Of course, Abdullah gets up at that speech that Biden was kind of bowing to him and talks about this failed two-state solution with East Jerusalem as its capital. East Jerusalem includes the Temple Mount. And so that is the crux piece. Almost everything has been accepted, but that is the crux piece. And this war really, the heartfelt craziness, motivation about it is there. And underlying that is not just the geography, but who's over that. Right. Who's over that. And that's why I titled this, Who's the king of Jerusalem? And that's very second coming prophetic. You know, the Bible says Jesus is going to come at the second coming. That's going to start the millennial reign where Jesus, as the king of Jerusalem, is going to reign from Jerusalem over all the earth for a thousand years in perfection. And the earth will repopulate itself. People will be there. They will bring homage to Jerusalem. Those of us that were raptured will come back with him at the second coming and rule and reign with him. We have already have been immortalized, whatever. I don't know what that's going to be, but it's amazing to think about. It's not something we bring in through politics or war or anything. That's something that God brings in. But um, I think that that just opens up now a way that we should be thinking. I think the Bible is the best culture. And so it should, it should be kind of ruling and out in front of us in our thinking about how we're perceiving what's going on today. And so I, I put in our show notes, Pastor, the possibilities of power. Who's got that? Now, Practically, Netanyahu as the prime minister more or less has the controls of the Israeli government, military, etc. And he, I mean, practically, he's got power over Jerusalem already, right? But principally, Ab- Abdullah does. King Abdullah of Jordan is the one. So the Waqfa police is a Muslim police that are Jordanian, bought, paid for, and trained, right? And that used to be part of Jordan, actually, until after 1967. But they let him kind of rule that in namesake. So that's what's going on today. But, of course, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who wants to regionalize himself as the new Superman, I mean, he's doing a good job in, in how he's going about it. I'm not saying good in that I agree with him. I'm just saying he's winning, you know, the, the era. Uh, his reaching out to Netanyahu and Biden 
who are not his friends, wanting to um, maybe sign the accords in speaking for Palestinians is becoming the new Palestinian champion, not, not Abdullah, but Mohammed bin Salman. He has more to offer the Palestinians. He can offer them citizenship where they get a new passport. He can move them where they have a new job. He can improve their economic status. This is, what he's, this is, this is what's going on. So young Palestinians are saying, forget the old message, two-state solution, et cetera, et cetera. We have this new opportunity for a super Arab uh, identity that is both Muslim, includes Jerusalem, and lets us travel and go to school you know, from, from North Africa to Indonesia and maybe even Europe and the United States. This is what his promise is. In other words, he's messianic. You know? mm-hmm. And that, that, that gives him basically some sort of jump on Abdullah. Right? It gives him jump on Abdullah. So now Abdullah, who's always been at odds with Muhammad bin Salman, now they're really at But what are they at odds over? They're at odds with who's the king of Jerusalem. Abdullah can't survive without that. Now, the one other possibility that I think we should talk about real quick is Lord Rothschild. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll do a two-minute review of Lord Rothschild. Lord Rothschild, uh, Jewish family, British citizenship. Lord Rothschild is their Britishized name, right? And Roth means red, child means red child. Basically, that was the name given because they view themselves as King David, the ruddy man, right? The ruddy, red man. Uh, they, they view themselves as the offspring of David. And so if you follow genealogies, the Rothschild said, we're it. We got the king. We got the throne. If they're propping up the throne of England and the powers in, in, the, in Europe and everything, then they consider themselves the power behind the thrones. Which is important yeah. Yeah. because the genealogies of Jesus in the Gospels mm-hmm. are, are, there. Are, to, or, but are there to prove his that he's of the tribe of Judah and he's of the throne of David. The blind men said, Jesus, son of David, David right. have mercy on us. And so the Rothschilds more or less say, we, we are the Jesus. And it would not, you know, the devil knows the scriptures. Right. And so his antichrist it's very ought to be of the, uh, ought, to, ought to have some sort of claim. They have a Christianized name. Right. Claim upon the, the throne of David. They're, they're funding the Christianized nations of, of Europe, Western Europe. In fact, they funded Britain and France to fight each other for 100 years, <laughs> you know, in that regard. But Lord Rothschild is the letter from the British government that has the Balfour Declaration 1917 saying, we're going to allow you to have a Jewish homeland and revert that, which eventually happened in 1948. That was written to Lord Rothschild. And the United Nations was funded by Lord Rothschild. And so all of a sudden they're there. In 1967, they defeat Jordan. They, they influence Israel to let let the Muslims have the Dome of the Rock and let the King of Jordan still be there. And then from that point on, the Rothschilds purchase and pay for the Knesset and the Supreme Court. In other words, that's land, that's authority, that's thrones, throneship, you know, in Jerusalem. And so they've set themselves up in a way where they are the elitists. Netanyahu, all these riots in Israel were over what? Netanyahu uh, basically was trying to change how the Supreme Court was selected. In Israel, the Supreme Court is selected more or less by the Supreme Court, who is the elitists funded by Rothschild. Netanyahu has taken them on. They took him on, trying to take him to court for all manner of things. They didn't want him in power. He wanted to make it so that he nominated the Supreme Court, and it was approved by the Knesset, more like an American model. This is why Israel was blowing up on October 7th, in and of themselves, 
but the but the red heifer coming into play um, was happening at the same time. So what I'm saying is behind all this and these different messages, whether it be Muhammad bin Salman or Abdullah or Netanyahu or the Rothschilds, is basically the Temple Mount. Who is the king of Jerusalem? Now Biden and Trump and Putin and Al Sisi in Egypt and Assad in Syria, they all want to be players and have Jerusalem under their thumb, so to speak. So they all have this mindset. And then you have, you know, you have Kushner, uh, Trump's son-in-law, who amazingly we found out during all this time was receiving billions for an investment fund from Mohammed bin Salman. So Mohammed bin Salman is giving Trump's son-in-law billions of dollars to invest in Jerusalem infrastructure, hotels, banks, transportation, uh, the trains. Why is Mohammed bin Salman investing money in Jerusalem? Well, you put that with everything else. The guy has a focus on Jerusalem. So Abdullah is going to lose his power. Salman's on the rise. Hamas sees what the Jews are doing, and they see things are changing to the point where we're not going to have a say. Let's attack. So they're all in. They're all in on what's going on. And Netanyahu is saying, we're all in as well. The only other mysticism, orthodox rabbinic mythology, is that of their spiritual messiah. And, of course, that's part of the talk of the land as well. And so amidst all of that, we have this strange construct that hasn't existed, even just in the short life of Israel, and that is, again, who's over Jerusalem? Who's over the Temple Mount? Who's the king in Jerusalem? When Jesus went on that Good Friday, we call it, you know, they, they hailed him, right? They hailed him. Hosanna! Mm. And they were hailing him. The king. They thought he was coming, and this was it. And um, we're getting back to a very messianic mysticism, geopolitics, power, money, all of that in play, just like at the time of Rome and Herod and Jesus. And so I'm saying I, I lick my finger and put it to the wind, and it sounds to me like we got the same structure uh, in the air uh, as what's going on there. Um, Newsweek, Jared Kushner's Middle East actions under spotlight after Israel attack. It's exposed. It's there. Uh, Israel Hayom, big big newspaper in Israel. U.S. says Saudi-Israeli ties may have motivated Hamas attacks. And most of the Jewish-centric um, podcasts and stuff are flat out preaching that. And of course, Hamas is saying that. So I'm, I'm bringing to the forefront, I think before, I think the next three weeks, we're going to hear a whole lot about the Temple Mount and who's the king of Jerusalem more in context. And that's why I'm trying to get a jump on it yeah. and, and use this time uh, in there. But I kind of wanted to end, Pastor Jay, because this last year, yeah. you you preached through Nehemiah. And I wasn't here for all the sermons, and I, I, I missed probably the one where you were talking about this. I had one just for you. Yeah, you did. You did. And, um, and you just didn't come to church that day. I didn't come to church when that you day. you missed church... See yes, what you miss? You miss the good stuff. You miss the good, miss the good stuff. stuff. I guarantee you the best sermon is the one you miss. <laughs> um, Spoke it like a preacher. Listen to that. He, I'm not even, he's not giving me an ounce. He's not giving me an inch. All right, You're here we go. probably preaching somewhere else. Okay, probably. But uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. This is the story. Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, he's a Jew uh, under mm-hmm. the Persian king. The Pers- he, he, he basically gets an appeal to the king. The king sends him with money, with backing, with support, to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and basically help the people to reconstitute themselves. 
So Nehemiah goes, he sees the broken down walls, he organizes the people, they get to work. Verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite and the Tobiah the servant and the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it. So these are all the Palestinian people, so to speak, that are there. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in what? Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And he says memorial. What's he talking about? We have a memorial. It's the temple, right? We have our name here. And they're standing up saying, what are you doing? And he has, he's basically defining it. Chapter 3 is the record of the building. And then you get to chapter 4. But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth. And he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. I mean, this is happening today. And he spake before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? That, that, that should be underlined. Will they sacrifice? This is the mm -hmm. indignation. Right. They're getting to a point where our memorial is becoming their memorial, and they're going to sacrifice. And that's exactly what this October 7th attack was about. It was about the red heifer, Jerusalem, and who's the king thereof. Right. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now, that was first temple, second temple, but then Herod's temple, you know, was destroyed by the Romans. We're talking about a third temple, right. but this is what they're talking about. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, even that which way they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them a prey, uh, give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. That's a great mm -hmm. verse yep. because we're starting a project here in our church that, that goes beyond church school and Bible nation, really. And um, our people have a mind to work. Hallelujah. Verse 7, it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabian, and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth, and they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night. And then it goes through how they set up military protection, not just builders, but the sword and the trowel, right? We're going to build and we're going to fight. And so Israel's there today. I mean, they've, they've got half their economy and people are there to fight, and the other half are there to do commerce, right? And so they're trying to do both. And, um, and then... Chapter 6 comes in, yeah. and, and I get to chapter 6, Pastor J, verse 6. Wherein yeah. was written, it is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou, uh, thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. Kind of like today, them saying to the UN, look at these Jews. And the UN trying to tell the Jews, you can't do this, or America. Uh, and, and notice what, it, from their perspective here, mm -hmm. rebellion is defined by Jerusalem. Yes. Building the walls of Jerusalem, yes. building the temple. Yeah. That's the definition of rebellion. Yes. And that's the same argument today. Yes. Israel, Israel's uh, destiny or Israel's um, momentum mm -hmm. towards occupying, yeah. naming Jerusalem as their headquarters, as their, as their capital, mm -hmm. um, rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple. All of these things are seen as an act of rebellion yeah. against the global community. Yes. And so we're talking about the geography but we're talking about the intent the memorial which is the temple but then look at verse 7 mm -hmm. and though thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at jerusalem this is their accusation saying there is a king in judah mm -hmm. um, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words come now therefore and let us take counsel together so this is the accusation you're trying to set up the kingdom 
right? The temple and the kingdom. They, they kind of go together, and that's why I'm, I'm bringing that out. And um, verse 10 then, afterwards I came up to the house of Shimei, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahadabiel, uh, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God. We're in the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. Verse 11, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is thee that being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. They're now trying to use the temple as the motivator for the enemies. And so that's exactly what's happening at the UN and the media. It's what Hamas is, is preaching today, Al-Aqsa flood, mm-hmm. you know. So beyond just Netanyahu's a jerk, right? He's a rightist or something, and they're occupying the land, and the poor Palestinians are just dying tooth and nail, and they're in an imprisoned state. You know, that's kind of the social justice message out of it. But there's a bigger message going on, a divine message, a kingdom message, a millennial message, and that is the last 70 years was about Israel becoming a nation, about Jerusalem becoming the capital, but now it's about the Temple Mount and who is king in Jerusalem. So I, I simply kind of end with this, Pastor Dan. I'll give you, you know, final words. We are observing a modern-day preface to the Temple Reconstitution in Jerusalem. Who will be king? Will the Dome of the Rock be destroyed or will it be reimagined as something else? All these players are trying to be in place for this. It, whoever owns this title or owns this principle is, you know, the Antichrist quotient gets high, not just for them, but for the times. And of course, the whole world becomes, Zechariah 12 says that Jerusalem will beca- become a cup of trembling to the whole world. And I think that's what's, I think that's what's in the wings here in the next weeks and months, you know, especially as we get in through, you know, the Feast of uh, Passover and Pentecost and all those kinds of things. And um, so I've, I've mixed the geopolitical with the scriptures today to just try to put people in a mind. Uh, and, and, of course, this is fresh in our church's mind because mm-hmm. we just preached through Nehemiah, but who will, be, who will be king? What are you trying to do? And, you know, these Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled at the time. They're fulfilled at the time of Jesus. But they're also pointing to the, the third fulfillment, and that is towards the second coming of Christ. And so everybody knows 2024 is a strange time. Something's in the air. And, and Jerusalem is the, is the lock and the key hole of the door of what's happening. And so what would be your advice to pastors and, you know, how to preach this, how to talk to their congregation and to to Christians who are just hearing one thing, but but there really is something. Different. Yeah. Well, as you were saying that, my, you know, just the Bible verse that came to mind is Luke twenty one verse twenty eight, and Jesus says, "And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh." Yeah. And so, you know, these things don't scare us as believers, yeah. and nor are we wishing the end of the world. But the end of the world is inevitable. Think about seven million dollar okay. commercial, right? That could, in the same thirty second one minute period show these things, but that said, who is the king of Jerusalem? And that said, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. That probably would be a more powerful thing than Jesus, he gets us. Right. You know, in in that regard. So um, we'll leave it at that today, folks. We're so glad that you've come by our podcast studio and uh, we'll be back next week. Remember, the best culture is a Bible culture. It's proven and it works.